If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. As was mentioned, this is the week in Advent, the candle of the shepherds. And as the text was read earlier, I'm sure that became quite evident and it'll be evident again as uh, we read and reread this together. So let's stand one more time and uh, uh, let me reread uh, the passage, Luke 2, 8 to 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, You tell us that there are all kinds of things that we simply can't fail to understand about you and your glorious existence is among them. We can pretend like we don't see it. We can claim we don't see it. We can pronounce ourselves to be atheists, we can oppose any mention of your name as is done in entire nations in the world, but in every single nation in the world, every day, all day long, the heavens declare your glory, and the sky above proclaims your handiwork. Every day, speech pours forth. Every night, the knowledge of you is placed on unmistakable display. And so although there's no speech and there are no words per se, 
Your voice is yet heard. The voice of your created brilliance and glory goes out through all the earth every day. And the words of the created order reach to the end of the earth. Every day, people see the sun rise in the east and run across the sky and set in the west. And as your presence, the heat of the sun goes everywhere. And so, Lord, as we gather in this Advent season, Lord, may we marvel to see what you, the Creator, have done for us, in particular, in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we marvel at having not just a created order, but also revealed words from you. For you tell us that your instruction is perfect, that it revives the soul, that your instruction is sure, making us wise, that you tell us what is true and right and give us a foundation for joy and rejoicing, and may that be us. Lord, the ways that teach us to fear you are clean, and they will never end. May we treasure your words more than we treasure gold, and even much fine gold, including these words about the birth of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray as we go through the remainder of this Advent season, as John mentioned, just really eight days left to the arrival of our celebration of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And may this especially be so for those amongst us who, as was also mentioned, find trouble in this time of the year and troubling memories, maybe a troubling situation circumstantially. Enable us, O Lord, through your words, to have our souls revived. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, in spite of where you have us at the moment, be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer, the Lord God Almighty. We ask for this to be given in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Well, as was mentioned, we have uh, three candles lit now in Advent season and we arrive at the shepherd's candle this morning and I hope that is even if you just try to think about it a little bit you'll automatically recognize how interwoven these candles are with each other. We started out with the prophecy candle in Isaiah And then we moved to the Bethlehem candle, but it was located, of course, in its text for the Advent season in a prophet, Micah. Specifically focused in on a geographical location that the prophet said would be the origin of the Messiah. And now we arrive at the shepherds who are part of the story because they 
find themselves located, doing their job, in close proximity to the town of Bethlehem. Not there by accident, but by God's providence and by miraculous and gracious providence, then God delivers to them a message and urges them to go in to Bethlehem and verify the message that he's given to them. So the question is, so what, what's with the shepherds? What are, their, what are they doing in our, in our story? And, and likely, uh, central to the significance of the shepherds is their ordinariness. You know, to be a shepherd in the first century is, I suppose, comparable to being a low-level factory worker in the 21st century, a convenience store worker, um, somebody in the service industry. That is, it's, it's, it's what very common people without any extensive education might be found doing. Um, and there they are these ordinary people. The Apostle Paul, you remember, will write to the Corinthians and say, you know, actually most of the people in the kingdom of God come from that segment of society. Remember how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 28? Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. You can sort of see the shepherds can tick off each one of those. No, uh, they, they don't have a noble standing. They, they're not considered wise by worldly standards. They're certainly not powerful. And they didn't have a noble birth. So why go to them? Well, here's Paul's answer. God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring about the things that are. Now what's striking about really the revelation to the shepherds is who the revelation doesn't go to. You're right in the region. For good reason, as we'll know from Matthew's account, but the revelation did not go to Herod in Jerusalem, who would have, if he had the information, have dispatched soldiers to Bethlehem to kill Jesus, which he eventually does, but he's, he's too late. The message doesn't go to Caesar in Rome when Jesus is born. No, it, it goes to a group of unnamed shepherds who happen to be working through the night just outside of Bethlehem of Judea. Of all the people in the world, God sends angels to this group, working the night shift, slightly outside of Bethlehem, and hence we have a shepherd's candle. Because they represent the grace of God, the revelation of God, the kingdom of God, and how God works and who he tends to work with most often. So these very ordinary people suddenly find themselves with this extraordinary experience. 
and they find themselves being discussed 2,000 years after the event all around the world this time of the year. State our thesis this way this morning. Encountering transcendence is a necessary part of experiencing Advent. It's certainly central to what happens to the shepherds. They experience transcendence out there in the field. They experience it vividly and in a fairly frightening way. And that's where we'll start. Number one, this is a story about of the transcendent invading the apparently tranquil. This is a story of the transcendent invading the apparently tranquil, verses 8 to 12. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you that you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in the manger. But verse 8 is the one we're really interested in. And in the same region there were shepherds out in their field watching over their flock by night. And we don't know what the weather was like that night. Likely uh, they had a clear sky because uh, we know that at least today, you know, the Bethlehem region gets under eight inches of rainfall annually. Uh, Nobody knows when Jesus was actually born uh, if we got the Christmas time right, the, uh, if, if, if it was, which almost nobody believes, December and January, those are about the two wettest months in, in Bethlehem um, in the whole year. When you get around to late spring and, and summer, uh, rain and clouds disappear for months on end. Uh, so it's a, you know, a little like if you would go to a place like Palm Springs, California in the summer. You can go there, as we did some years ago, for a week and never see a cloud or a hint of a cloud. Uh, Just nothing. I mean, blue every day, exactly the same. In the summertime, Bethlehem is like that. So at least throughout the year, uh, these guys that work with sheep overnight, uh, they are used to a tremendously tranquil environment, spending the night. The sheep are just there. They only have two jobs, to keep the sheep from wandering off and to keep something from coming from the outside and attacking them. And that's why they're there. And so they're in this tranquil night and no lights around, so I'm sure they usually looked up at an absolutely brilliant sky I always think of uh, camping in Grand Teton National Park uh, when we had two little girls a little late in the season to go there, but we did uh, with our little tent, and it was late September, early October, and it freezes overnight there, uh, which in the morning, you know, if you have a uh, 14-month-old child and an almost four-year-old, they don't like it. They don't like it. And the other thing a 14-month-old doesn't like is going to sleep in a tent. Uh, and so I would always put Mary in the car, go out, drive her around for 10 minutes until she was asleep, and then come, hand her to Shirley in the tent, and then I would go down about 100 yards or so to the restroom there. And one of those nights, walking down, I remember looking up at the sky and just like, oh, man, just unbelievable and that's what these guys saw all the time they're just out there like that so there they are just picture there they are they got a night like this and then there's an angel they had seen as many angels in their life as you and I have Uh, zero 
Zero. But now they got one. An angel shows up. And he shows up, and he has stuff to say. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. But that wasn't the worst part. The frightening part was, and the glory of the Lord shined all around them. So this is a shocking experience. They've never seen an angel before, but neither have they suddenly seen the glory of God shining around them in the middle of the night. And understandably, passive verb here, they're filled with fear, which they, they would be. That's you know, in other words, in those circumstances, you don't say, this is probably a time that I should be afraid. No, you don't have to say that. It just happens to you. Like, oh, man, they're filled with fear. He says they're filled with great fear, with great fear. Um, so suddenly on this tranquil night, this tranquil night, They encounter the glory of God with this angel. You know, out there, it's, it's easy to forget, right, of all the, the... The world wasn't actually a tranquil place in the first century there. Jewish people living under the thumb of Rome in the Roman Empire, they're relatively oppressed. They're on the downside of the social order by by quite a ways, but on the average evening, right, all of that is, is gone. And as we put it in one of our most famous Christmas carols, you know, all is calm, all is bright. But now God shows up. The glory of God and the angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For all the people. All the people. So is, is, is the advent of the Son of God a good, is that good news for everybody? What does he mean by all the people? Everybody, everywhere. Is that true? Everybody, everywhere. Good news. Good news. No, not really. Not really. In fact, most people paid no attention to the birth of the Son of God, so it does them precisely no good, and they're just held responsible for paying no attention to it. So what's this great joy for all the people? Well, the... The answer in, in context is he, he uses, and this is not a universal thing. Language is always broader than this, slipperier than this. But generally speaking, generally speaking, in the New Testament, the laos is the people of Israel, the elect people, Abraham's offspring, as they would have initially understood it, as these shepherds would have understood it. So the shepherds would have heard him say, the Messiah's here, good news for all the people, for all of Israel. But that had never really been true down through the, the prophetic order either. All of Israel was never very faithful and never benefited from the ways of God. So what you really got to boil it into is all of genuine Israel. This is good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people, for all the actual, genuine people of God, which you, if you were in Pastor Dan's Sunday school class last week, includes, through Abraham, all the families of the earth. You know, so, so, so if you're here and you know, you've got some European heritage or some African heritage or some Hispanic heritage, none of that matters at all because 
all of those heritages are among all the families of the earth. And the people of God, the genuine people of God, are drawn out of all of the families of the earth. And they become this. And all the people, all the laos, um, including these shepherds. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Here's how Moses wrote of it with Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's what the birth of this child is about. And that's what the angels are announcing to the shepherds, that the fulfillment of these great promises has arrived. So don't be afraid. Uh, The glory of God, the angelic visitor, it's all simply announcing the arrival of good news of a great joy which shall be for all the genuine people of God. All the people equals all the families of the earth who are blessed. And so we're supposed to let that land on us. One of Charles Wesley's most famous lyrics um, in a song that most of you are familiar with, right? End Can It Be? Kind of an Easter cross song. I transposed it over a little bit into an Advent song, and then it would go something like this. You just change his lyrics a little bit. End Can It Be? That I should gain an interest in my Savior's birth? Was he born for me? Part of that sinful race that would cause his pain later in life. He was. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should send your Son to be born for me. That's what he's announcing. So that's why, don't be afraid of the manifestation of the glory of God. Why? Because it's good news of great joy. If you are among the people. And many of you are. And you should go through this Advent season Asking yourself Charles Wesley's question. And can it be that I should gain an eternal interest in the birth of Jesus Christ as this, as this person's birth that we celebrate, has it actually had quite literally an everlasting impact on my destiny and future? And the answer is that it certainly has. It certainly has. If you are a person of faith, as we'll see in just a moment. Secondly, this is the story of transcendence, making peace with his people. This is the story of the transcendent, making peace with his people. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Now that's, you know, be careful here because we've got these pictures in our our minds that don't necessarily pay that much attention to the language that the Bible is using. So when we hear, we're we're just geared to hear, um, suddenly uh, there was with the angel... A multitude of the heavenly hosts. So what do we think? Big choir. Big choir. Um, But that's not the language that he's using here. The language that he's using here is big army. Big army. So like a big, you, you you don't picture 
a large choir in front of a cathedral, you picture a large army spread over the field. Now, granted, this army has something to say. They chant. They chant. But their their Christmas carol comes out, as one scholar put it, it's like an army chanting along, uh, Hail to the Chief. This gigantic army, military formation, Hail to the Chief. And hence, they say, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among them who he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. Um, That too is striking language. We get to the third point. This is the kind of thing that I think we would be wise to follow Mary's example in pondering. So what does it mean, the highest? The highest. Well, uh, the highest is simply there's nobody else like him. There's nobody above him. Glory to God, to the one who is above everything, everything. The Bible's language about God as the highest takes a number of different forms. Psalms, Psalm 115, 3, our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. How can he do whatever he pleases? Because he's in the highest. There's nobody above him, nobody across from him, Nobody can thwart him. Nobody can trip him up. He's the highest. He's the highest. There's nobody like him. Nobody remotely like him. Glory to God in the highest, because that's who he is. That's where he is. That's what he's about. And the highest, as it turns out, relates to everything and everyone. Remember how Paul puts it. Romans 11.36, and from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The highest is constantly related to everything, everyone, all the time. From him, through him, to him, all things, all things. Or John in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Glory to God in the highest. Now that perspective is almost unbelievably different than the perspective that bombards us every day. In the perspective of the editorial pages of the New York Times, God never has anything to do with anything, ever. Basically equally true even in the editorial pages of a relatively conservative newspaper like the Wall Street Journal. God basically never has anything to do with anything. No, no, the real big stuff is us, and it's politics, and it's our ideological intrigues, and it's Harvard, and it's Penn, you know, and it's MIT. This is the big stuff. These are the big people. This is where things are happening. And these shepherds are being told Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? The biggest things that are happening are always directly connected to the highest. And this birth is connected there. Glory to God in the highest. 
glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, it's the same as we were talking last week, right? This is objective peace with God peace, right? You know, this, 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 isn't the, this isn't a 60s battle, you know. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Oh, there we go. No! No! No, no, no. This is peace on earth between fallen sinners who, naturally speaking, have no such expectation of relationship with God at all. But now it's miraculously provided for them. And on the earth, peace, and then he says, among those with whom he is pleased. Forty-two years ago, I was, at this time of the year, I was just finishing up my first semester at Trinity. I just turned 24 years of age, and that fall I took a course from Dr. Walter Liefeld in what they call Lucan writing. So it was just the study of Luke and Acts, uh, pretty much. And uh, ironically, um, uh, Dr. Liefeld just passed away uh, last month. He was 96 by then. So when I had him, He was one of the older faculty members, especially he was by far the oldest in the New Testament department, and I did the math, so he was 54. 54. You know, well, you that are 54, you don't look that old to me anymore. But but he looked, I I considered him an old man uh, when I had him. And so I was really struck by the fact that this uh, older professor he talked about another scholar who's only about seven years older than him, and, uh, certainly more famous, uh, by the name of Joseph Fitzmaier. And that class, Joseph Fitzmaier got, got mentioned in every single lecture. A commentary had just come out. The year was 1981. Uh, Fitzmaier's first volume of a two-volume commentary on Luke had come out, and, and it was Dr. Fitzmaier this and Dr. Fitzmaier than that. Now, Walter Liefeld, his claim to fame was really this. He had married one of the widows of the five missionaries uh, killed in Ecuador in 1956. Um, He had married Pete Fleming's widow, Olive. Um, And some of you are very familiar with that story because as part of uh, going a short-term mission trip to Mexico, uh, you were... You could either say required or privileged to read Elizabeth Elliot's most famous book, Through Gates of Splendor. Uh, And she really put, through that book, she put not only that event, but she put the missions, uh, sort of the glorious nature of missions on the map. And really through that book and and through what happened to her husband, but what, what kept it all going is that she happened to have a great ability as a writer and a speaker. And so... All that they experienced, uh, uh, she just passed it on to uh, a next generation, and and people went to the mission field in fairly upticked numbers after those five guys were murdered uh, along a river in Ecuador. It didn't hurt that there was a 10-page spread on them in uh, in Life magazine. And anyway, though, um, Walter Liefeld married her. She's still living. Um, and here's this guy who's married to this famous widow, and, but he's, he's as excited about Joseph Fitzmaier as I used to be about my baseball cards when I was 10. You could just tell. That's how he, that's, that was Joseph Fitzmaier. Oh, Joseph Fitzmaier. Well, I eventually would get that commentary, and, and the, on the little phrase, on that little phrase, people on whom his favor rests, here's what... Fitzmaier wrote. This was to be understood as God's good pleasure. And the complete phrase, the people whom God has favored, the people whom God has favored. P. 
peace on earth. For who? Oh, for the people whom God has favored. Like in the previous section, it's the same thing. This idea of divine election is brought onto the stage. You say, well, how are you supposed to know whether you're one of those people whom God has favored? Well, that's what Paul's writing about to the Romans when he says, you know, being justified by faith, being justified by faith, we are having peace with God. Present tense, present experience. By having been justified by my faith that showed up sometime in the past in a decisive way, coming to faith, we are now in a position to presently be experiencing peace with God. Do you think about that during Advent season? Do you allow that to sort of rest on you? That through the sending of Christ into the world, the purpose was that people like me, unaccountably, God's favor came to rest on me. God's favor came to rest on any number of you. Through so many different circumstances, you couldn't understand them all. But it's what's happened. And, he had, and you're at peace with him. And will ever be at peace with him. It's worth thinking about. It's worth pondering. Which is where we go finally. This is a story about, of the transcendent being experienced by some very ordinary people. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Uh, So you picture it out in the field. So now suddenly notice uh, verse, and when the angels went away, So now the the original angel and the whole army of angels and the manifestation of the glory of God is all gone. And what's left is this handful of guys standing under the night sky in the same old field. Stunned, shocked. You saw a picture. Dazed. And one of them speaks up. Okay. All right. Here's an idea. Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened. Since the angel told us to do that, he said, this is a sign for you. Back in verse 12, right? This shall be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You only find it, though, if you go there. So they're there. Let's go. Let's go. And so they go. They go. And they find it all. They find it all just as the angel said. They would find it. And then they share their testimony about what was said in the field and about their experience of the glory of God. And Mary and Joseph and whoever else was there, we don't know who the other people were, probably just people from Bethlehem. 
they hear it and they, verse 18, they wonder at it. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then Mary singled out. But just before we single out Mary, remember these, these ordinary people we're talking about, these shepherds. Well, that, would, that includes Joseph. I mean, he's a carpenter. I mean, that's a bit of a specialty for sure. But it's a specialty of the ordinary class, maybe up a ways in the ordinary class. But Mary, Mary's quite a young woman who has probably, at this point in her life, Um, no serious accomplishments of any kind in any field. She's she's a young woman, a young girl. Um, and and, And this is all happening to these shepherds and to Joseph and to her and to whoever these other people are. And Mary... As we'll see next week, has had some other things to be treasuring up in her heart and thinking about. But she treasured these things up in her heart. And it says she pondered them. The, uh, the little Greek expression, a compound, it's a compound Greek verb. She, she threw them back and forth in her heart. She throws them back and forth in her heart. Is this, like, could this really glory to God in the highest? This is all in line with what the angel had previously told her about before the conception. Like, she ponders these things. She's thinking about them. She's throwing them back and forth in her heart. Back and forth in her heart. Back and forth in her heart. Seeing all of these great Old Testament promises fulfilled in her. And you and I are supposed to do exactly the same thing. We come to these familiar stories. Now it's been 50 years now since uh, Francis Schaeffer published a a Christmas sermon. Uh, Great, great, great title. I've mentioned it a dozen times over the years at at least. But it's a question. He asks of this text, the, the text that he preached on was what we call the shepherd's text in Advent. And his, his title to the sermon was, So What Difference Has Looking Made? What difference is looking made? What difference should it make for us to come back to Advent season, consider these things? And the, and the answer that he's implied is, it should make all the difference in the world. It should make the same kind of difference that it made specifically to the shepherds, because that's where the text closes, and that's where this segment of the story closes. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned. Returned where? To that field with the sheep in it, outside of Bethlehem. They're still just shepherds. And they likely will be for decades to come. And they returned. And they returned. They returned to normal life. They return to doing what they do, which is what we do. That's what we do. The shepherds return. We consider Jesus, then we return. What? To what we're doing, whatever that is. To our patients, to our clients, to our whatever. We return. We return. But... They returned glorifying and praising God for what they had seen and heard as it had been told them. And that's to be us as well. We return 
glorifying and praising God for what we have seen and heard, for being reminded, you know, that the highest has set his favor on us before the foundation of the world and eventually set his son into the world to bring us peace with him. Us being those upon whom his eternal favor is rested. That's, that's my story. If you're a believer, that's your story. You know it's your story because you have faith. And faith justifies you. And puts you in this position where you simply are experiencing peace with God. Now and forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. Lord, may we be able to answer Dr. Schaefer's question with clarity. What difference is looking made? And may we be able to say, well, it's reminded me that for all of the disappointments of life and for all the trials of life and all the mediocrity that is me, for all of that, what a wonder to be reminded that you who dwell in the highest before the foundation of the world chose us to become holy and blameless before you. In love you predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to yourself to the praise of the glory of your grace. Just as the angels said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those upon whom his favor rests. O oh Lord, fill us with a fresh sense of pondering and treasuring these great truths and rejoicing in them and telling others about them. For your sake and in your name we pray, amen.